titled the message today, A Hospitality Witness. We see here in this letter, 3 John, we see in 3 John much like 2 John last week. They're more like a postcard than it is a letter. As they took the papyrus, they took the quill, they took the man-made ink there. Typically, they would write right to left, as you know, in Hebrew, they go right to left, right? And be front and back of this papyrus. It's a very, very rare, very important uh, thin piece of what we could refer to as paper. But this one was just like a little postcard. It was just probably one-sided of that papyrus. Not like, a, not like a book, not like a letter where it would go on and on. It would be scrolls and it would just roll out. And we see three main characters here in 3 John. Three main characters in this letter. A man named Gaius. Or Gaius. Gaius was a hospitable man. The gift of hospitality. A loving servant. And everything he did for God, we will see, he did it out of love for God. And love for his people. Then we'll see another man. That is going to be absolute contrary. Diotrephes. Diotrephes is as a dictator, and his motivation was based upon self, to be seen, to be in control, to have it his way. Not a good witness for hospitality. Then we see Demetrius, a quiet, diligent servant, behind-the-scenes kind of guy, but doing the work of God. Motivated based on being faithful, a faithful servant to God. Regardless if he's seen or not seen. Regardless if she's seen or not seen. Gaius. Diotrephes. Demetrius. Demetrius. We find here John, who wrote this letter, as he's referred to once again here in 3 John, in the very first verse, the elder. He starts his third letter as he did his second letter, and as both having the same style of writing as he did in 1 John. That we see here in John 3 John 1, it says, The elder, the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now the writer of this book, no one is questioning who wrote this book, and that is the Apostle John. Same style, same writing, same kind of theme throughout in ministering in this short little quick letter to the believers in the Maybe not so much in Ephesus, Church of Ephesus, that he was responsible for, but all the outreach churches that it was established throughout Asian Minor. And Gaius is being one of those leaders in one of those churches, those outreaches, receives this letter from John. 
And so presumably all the readers who were reading this little postcard, this little letter here, knew this was John's. They understood this over time, that this is John's. It's the same style, the same Apostle John who wrote not only the Gospel of John, but the first, second, third letters, but also the book of Revelation. And perhaps he did not name his name, nor the people he was writing to, but he did do it for Gaius. He, he named his name. But in 2 John, we didn't see any names, and so it could have led to believe there was a lot of persecution going on in that period of time. He didn't want to bring light to. That's why in 2 John, I lean toward the fact that it was writing to the church, not to a specific lady and to his ch her children, but to the, a specific church and all the outreaches from that, that area. But they loved one another. It's clear that John loved Gaius. And he loved him based on the love in truth. Because there's different um, words for the word love in the Greek. We see that he is not referring to a love here in truth based on family love or bloodline love. What we call storge, which is a natural love that family members have for one another. That's not the love he's referring to here. So he's not saying, hey, Gaius, you're a brother, you're family, I love you, man. A natural love. No, that's not what he's referring here. This love in the Greek is agape love. It's often referred to as an unconditional or a sacrificial love. And you will find two people in the ministry who are equal in their love for the word of God who are united by the Holy Spirit that dwells within them. That's, they're not grieved to the Holy Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit lives and is, is reigning in their lives. Who love the Heavenly Father and will declare it everywhere. And they're willing to sacrifice for one another because of their love for Christ and their love for one another. Who walk together in unity in love. This is the spiritual depth and connection that John and Gaius had in the ministry. And it's that kind of love when two people, two sisters, who love the Word and love the Father and love the Holy Spirit reigning and ruling in their lives, and they love to dwell and be in unity and fellowship, will have this kind of agape love between two sisters of the Lord. But this is what happens when you're in the ministry, when you have a brother who's so tight with you and so like-minded and such in unity and is out there to do the work of God and to spread the gospel and to further his kingdom. That many believe Gaius was one of the potentials along with the other uh, Demetrius is probably part of John's fellowship, maybe led them to these, these two brothers to Christ and then sent them out to start new work. But in the ministry together, they're so tight, so like-minded, they so miss the fellowship between one another. Oh, I hope and pray that as you continue to show up and continue to go deeper with God in the love for God's word and his God working in and through the body of the, of the, through the body of Christ, that you would find one or two or three men that you were just bond together, brothers. That sisters, as you fellowship together, you would bond with one another. 
It's not based on the color of your skin. It's not based upon the, your like social status. It's not based upon your coming from the same community or not. It is not based on any of those things. None of those things are what's going to bind you. That's more like family, bloodline. It is what we're talking about is a spiritual level that is agape, it's unconditional, sacrificial love for one another. That's what he's referring to here. So Gaius was more likely a leader of one of the churches, probably one of those outreaches coming out of the church of Ephesus that John was kind of like that lead, the apostle, the last apostle. That position. And he continues and he says, beloved. And he says, beloved, not only multiple times in here, that just, just shows you his heart for Gaius. Beloved Gaius, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. It's a, it's a, it's a greeting. It's a natural greeting. It's a, it's a, John prays three things for Gaius here. And just this blessing in the very beginning of his letter. He says, I prosper in all things. That be in, you'll be in health. You'll be healthy. I'll find you, when I find you and talk to you, you'll be healthy when I see you. And just like your soul is prospering, it's spiritually growing and deepening for your love for God. It's, it's your soul so healthy spiritually. May your body be just as, as healthy and may you be prosperous in anything that God allows to, to, for you to touch. It would bring fruit that would be so good for you. What a beautiful blessing. What a beautiful thing, heart you have for a brother that you love so much. The word for prosper literally means to have a good journey. Metaphorically, it means to succeed or to prosper, to be, that there would be something good and right will come out of it. It's like saying, I hope things go really, really well for you on your journey. But isn't that what you really, truly pray for? Your, someone, not only for a family member, but someone who you, you just bond with and have a relationship that you want to see them increase, not decrease? Grown versus dwindle? Be nourished versus famine and hunger? I mean, <laughs> if you really love those person within the body, of course you're going to be praying for those things. Especially when you know they're traveling. But, beyond, but John used this common phrase in sending of his best wishes and his blessings to Gaius. But here's some of the problems when you read the scripture that people will take out of context. And this is one of the scriptures where they take this out of context. They'll take this one verse. And some have wrongly taken this guaranteed of perpetual wealth and perfect health for a Christian. It's what we refer to as the prosperity doctrine. It's a false teaching. The name it, claim it. kind of mentality that says if you have faith then you will prosper and you will always be healthy you always be wise now of course we should always remember that God wants the best for us I'm not arguing with that 
He wants the best for us. He has, the, he has a great plan for your life that he has already in his mind, how he wants to work it out in your life. So he wants the best for us. He has plans only for good for us. We have a good, good father. But often present, yes, material prosperity can happen. Yes, that physical health can keep you, you stay healthy and you're just so thankful and grateful that you do have your health. And then as part of the, this good thing that he's doing in and through your life and this prosperity and health are absolute heavenly promised for you and I ultimately and our destiny as believers with him in heaven. On this side of heaven, we don't have that guarantee. We just know as, as children of God, that prosperity, that health, that, that, that completeness of, of complete security is all on the heavenly side. So that's why we ask for the blessings now of God providing and, and all those things. But we know ultimately as children of God, we will have, we'll inherit the kingdom of God. We're going to be inheriting. What that will be like and all that details, I don't know. But when I see in the scripture with the, the, the roads paid with, with gold, it's going to be great. It's just, it's astroturf. It's, 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 it's just, it's road, it's road, you know, covering up there. We think gold is precious, but it's nothing to God. Yet for the present time, God may, according to his all-wise plan, may use a lack of material prosperity, challenging physically, challenging moments your physical health is to promote something in your life that you can't understand but to promote great prosperity and health in the scale of eternity i always think about joni eric and Sitata, young i think a 16 year old girl just playing having a great time very athletic did everything you can think of. Jumps in a pool and breaks her neck. And many people say, why would God allow that? But hindsight, 50 years now as she's living, they never thought she would live that long. 50 years now later, she's been in the ministry 50 years ministering to people as a quadriplegic. For 50 plus years, prospering, leading people to Christ and encouraging them of all those who have physical challenges. God used her life as a plan of his purpose for his glory to help others in that condition. Now, did she know that at 16 years of age? Did her parents know that at 16 years of age? No. Has it been easy? No. Would anyone want that to happen or, or wish that upon anybody? No. But God is all wise. Do we believe that God is in control of each of our lives or you don't? Nevertheless, some live in poverty. Some live in a disease that simply because they do not seek God's best. They don't follow God's principles. They don't walk in faith. 
And because they walk in the flesh, they've done and made bad decisions that's caused disease to come upon their, their bodies. Cause some things to happen that now physically they're hurt. Or they made some really bad decisions and they've lost all their, any material gain that they, God had provided to them. They've lost it all in their home. Because they didn't seek God's best. They didn't seek God's principles. Now that's not for everybody, but that's for some. As well as there are some others who say we should use God's general purposes or promises a blessing as a way to indulge carnal desires. For easy living, comfortable living, luxury living, and just use that for their own personal gain. But here John is not wishing on all of those except a general blessing. This is as you go out, may God just bless you in everything you're touching. May you stay healthy, be healthy to be able to be and do what God's called you to do. Be healthy. Just like your soul is just so strong and so healthy and so good. May your physical and the hand, the things you're going to do for him be as such. For I rejoice, verse 3, I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The original language there can also say, walk the truth. Do you walk the truth? Or do you just talk about the things of God but you never walk the truth. You actually don't do it. You're not obedient to it. That's what, that's what we're saying. He's saying, I'm getting people coming back and telling me your testimony, your witness is so beautiful of what you're doing for God and God's people. He says, I, I, I have no greater joy than to hear the, my brother who I love so dearly is walking the truth. Doing great things for God. Obedient to the word of God. Doing what God's called him to do. God's love, love for, toward, and joy toward Gaius came with his understanding that the fact that it's not because he was prosperous. Oh, I heard you're making a lot of money. I hear you have climbed multiple mountains and you're winning all kinds of marathons and you're doing all these achievements. No. I hear you have 20 kids. No, as good as that can be. Those are gifts from God. Don't forget that. That's prosperity. <laughs> no, no. He says, I rejoice and I have full of joy and I am so just, love, this love is just overflowing because the truth is seen in your life. You're not just saying I'm a Christian. I'm not saying I'm just a Christian. I actually live what I believe. And what I believe is based upon the word of God. That's walking in the truth. As a pastor, there's no greater joy 
And that's what John's saying as a pastor is saying to him. There's no greater joy to hear, to know those who I've poured into, that he's poured into, like Gaius, that you are walking and obeying the word of God, the truth. No, 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 no greater joy than that. Especially for those who are in the military, who have been here, that we poured into it two or three years, and then they PCS and they move on to that. There's no greater joy to hear that they continue to walk in truth. None. Now they're married, they're raising kids, they're now serving in other churches, other part of the body. There's no greater joy for me. And same for John, no greater joy. But there's also the other side of that coin, there's no greater sorrow. No greater sorrow. To hear you pour your, into your, this as a shepherd to just feed and feed and pour into the lives of people who are one time walking with the Lord. And then you hear, they go back to the world and back to the flesh, living cardinally. There's no greater sorrow. John knew that Gaius walked the truth. Why? Because even the brethren came to testify of this truth. His walk of truth was noticed by others. They could talk about it because they saw it lived out in his life. Gaius was not just all talk, but he was all walk. And that my children, when I see that, you see as, his, his, as an older man, as an older pastor, and all these people, he just sees them as not only sheep, as a shepherd as a sheep, but more likely like a dad to his children. He's just walking, they're walking in truth. He has no greater joy to hear that. This is not just about living with correct doctrine. But to walk the truth means to walk consistent in that truth that you believe. That you haven't been bewitched and, and taken off onto rabbit and squirrely trails of all these false doctrines and all the latest greatest waves and movements and all these other things that are latest books that are out there that take you away from the heart of the truth of God. But to walk the truth means to really believe it and to walk it faithfully. I mean, if you were going to walk wary, if you're going to walk wary for your fallenness, then walk wary like with your fallingness. If you've fallen, you should be walking wary. It should line up. If you've fallen away and you act like you're still joyful and full of joy with Christ and God's working in your life, you're, that's hypocrisy. If you believe that you're a child of God, then walk with joy like a child of God. Don't be head hanging down. You should be like a little kid. You're excited every day what God's going to do. If you believe you're forgiven, then walk like you're a forgiven person. If you're a child of God, you have been forgiven. Rejoice. Be glad in it. Rest in it. Rest in the finished work of Christ because you can't do it. He did it. So 
So what made Gaius such a great testimony, a great witness? God's truth. The truth in him enabled him to walk in obedience to the will of God and to do what God called him to do. And he was a faithful, um, had the gift of hospitality and working through God, meaning he served other people who are in the ministry and are traveling and going about doing the work of God. He faithfully took care of and sent them on their way as they traveled through. Gaius would be a man who loved to read the word of God because the word was in him. He meditated on it day and night, as the scripture talks about. It wasn't just on Sundays. It wasn't just on a certain time. It was throughout his day, all, every day, seven days a week, meditating on the things that God was revealing and showing in his life. He was delighted in it. He practiced it. He wanted it more and more to be who he is every day as well. It reminds us of Psalm 1. Verses 1 through 3, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of God, the law of the Lord, the word of God. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall what? Prosper. So the psalmist is very clear. For those who love the Lord and in the word of God, there is a, there is a promise there that you're not going to have a wilted life. You're going to have a life. You're going to have, there's going to be energy. There's going to be a, a vitality spiritually in your life. And the things that God is going to call you to do will be very fruitful and prosperous. Why? Because God called you to do it. He empowers you to do it. He equips you to do it. And he's following through on his promises to make sure. You don't do it in your own strength. Apart from him, you and I can do nothing. It's going to be prosperous. They'll be fruitful. And we're talking about small things to the largest of things that he could possibly call you. He starts with the small things, and if you're faithful to those small things, then you, he will then bless you and add to your life to do bigger things for him. But you've got to start with the small things. Like showing up regardless of how you feel. See, Jesus Christ, the truth, we see in John 14, 6. He's the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. There is no other place to turn, my brothers and sisters, for that truth. And is revealed in his word. Why would you go anywhere else in any other book than his Bible? His word. Why? Why would you? Which is God's truth. We see that clearly in John 17, 17. And the Holy Spirit, who dwells within a believer, teaches you all things. 
teaches you this truth. The Holy Spirit is the truth. We see that in 1 John 5, 6. We just studied that a few, a few weeks back. And he teaches us this truth. How do you learn God's truth? Allow the Spirit of God that dwells within you through the, the Word of God to teach you that. That means you must spend time letting that happen. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to reveal the Son of God and then enable you and I, us, to obey the will of God. That is what it means to walk the truth. There is no other way. So he says here in verse 5, Beloved, once again he says, Beloved, to Gaius, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for the strangers. You have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Why? Because, verse 7, they went forth for his namesake, Jesus' namesake. They went out to do God's work. Taking nothing from the Gentiles, the non-believers, the non-Christians. They didn't take anything from them to help them do this journey. No, no, no. Verse 8. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. These are great verses right here. That John is teaching and reminding Gaius about the work of the ministry. John praises Gaius, why? For his hospitality witness. That people are coming back and saying, he's a tremendous witness for God and how he helps and treats not only the brethren, those who believe, but also strangers who come. People he don't know. So it's like you coming in, someone who's, who's in the ministry somewhere in another state, and they call you up and say, hey, I'm coming to New York. And you're like, oh, you've got to stay with us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Door's wide open. When are you going to come? I don't know. What do you need to eat? I don't know. How long are you going to stay? I don't know. Great. Did you catch that? Because you have the guys to hospitality. You don't say, you're staying more than five hours? I have to feed you? You're actually sleeping in this house? And you don't know when you're leaving? And you're bringing your six kids? Yes, the door is open. That's the gift of hospitality. Why? Because that person could be a missionary and they're on their way somewhere. And God is deciding to bless you by having them call you. And you're opening up the door because you know that everything you have is God's. And if that's how God wants to use it, then that's how he's going to use it. That's Gaius. He looked at them and he says, we see your love and you're pouring out. It's not like the next example. Now, who am I talking to? Oh, this is Pastor Corey. I got a, a missionary coming through, and they need a place to stay. And the Lord is really showing me to call you to see if you would be able to, to accommodate this missionary. 
if you have the gift of hospitality, you just, what days? I, 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 even if I'm not here, I guess I could give them the keys if I needed to. But yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Great, I look forward. What was their names again? I, I've never heard of them before. Do we, are we familiar? No, they're just a missionary we've never met yet. They're coming through. A stranger, really. A believer doing a work of God, but a stranger. Yeah. Staying at your house. Yeah. And you find out, oh yeah, by the way, there's six kids. And they're not sure how long they're going to be. See, if you have the gift of hospitality, and God is the one putting in your heart and showing you this is what he wants you to do, to use his resources and things to do it, are you willing to do it? Gaius was that man. Because his love for God, he knew God would take care of all the details. He didn't need all the details. God has all the details. And God would provide. And God would guide. And God would protect. And God would... I still remember a, a, a young lady coming across doing a work. She was working with people in Canada, and uh, and uh, she was uh, ministering to help people understand the awareness and of of uh, trafficking uh, of 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 trafficking people. And uh, she got on the, the United States side. She's a U.S. citizen, but she got over there. Got over here. Something happened with the passport, and all of a sudden she called us out of the blue. Hi, <laughs> you don't know me? And I'm talking to a woman, I, I, don't, I don't know who I'm walking to, so all of a sudden the alerts are going off, going, okay, now my wife's not home. <laughs> I was like, okay, so now tell me a little bit more. Oh, perfect, this is wonderful. So yeah, the ladies are meeting right now, it's Tuesday night, come on down, she's gonna drive all the way from Blasburg, go to the Tuesday night, meet with all the ladies, see my wife, and work all the details. The ladies will help you. They'll figure all that out, and you'll be totally fine. You'll be, I don't have any place to stay. I have no money. I have no, oh, no, no problem. We'll take care of that. Get down here. All of a sudden, I get a call. Sweetheart, we have a visitor tonight. She's coming home. We need to take care of this young lady. Okay, the mother, the motherly, just, ooh, the, the mother head. We're taking care of this young lady. She's not going to go on her own, and I'll be on the street. She's not going to find a hotel, and she has nothing. We're going to take care of her. The ladies loved on her, encouraged her. She blessed them and ministered to them and talked. Right? It's just, I don't know if the ladies were the, who were there at the time. It was a few years back. But that's just always reminded me of this. Of, are you opening up your house? Are you willing to do and go out of the way? Whatever that may be. Like Gaius, a loving servant. Open and obedient to whatever God wants you to do. If you're not there, that just means you're, you'll grow. You're going to grow. You'll mature. You'll prosper. Just like his, his soul will prosper, he had a soul that prospered. And because of that, God provided ways to be able to be used by God. Because he was faithful in what God was calling him to do. It didn't matter if it was brother or a stranger. And then because of that love that he has for God's people and stuff in the church, he was just open, and, and everyone knew about it. And, he, and, and, and when, he, when he brought them in and he ministered to them, we see here that he took care of them, and then they forward them on their journey in a worthy of God, the worthy manner of God. How would you send God off if Jesus came to your house and he was gone to his next place to minister to the next city? How would you treat Jesus? 
worthy of God. It's God's people. It's your sister, your brother, and the Lord. How are you going to treat them as worthy of God and to go out and to do this work? How is the hospitality witness coming from you? Because this is a tremendous compliment when you hear someone tell another person, you do faithfully whatever you do. You're so faithful in what you're doing. Whatever God gives us to do, we should be faithful. We see this, Jesus said this, when, he, he, uh, when we see him face to face, we see, well, many of us, I hope all of us here, will hear one key words coming out of the mouth when we see Jesus face to face in heaven. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You were what? Faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Matthew 25, verse 21. See, our good servant Gaius was that faithful servant. He heard those words from his Lord. No question. See, in that day when Christian travelers happened, they did not have Marriott's. They didn't have the, the Hilton's, the Motel 6's, the Holiday Inn's with those nice little sweet uh, cinnamon rolls, if you know what I'm talking about, that stared in your face every morning for you know, continental breakfast. Oh, when we first started ministry up there, we literally lived in one room in the Holiday Inn just to get started. Those cinnamon rolls were bad. They were good. It's bad and good. But we lived in that four or five of us in one little room starting a ministry up here. They didn't have those. Christians, travelers, had to rely upon their brothers and sisters that lived in that community to accept them in and to help them and take care of them while they were traveling. Even traveling ministers were very, very in demand of need for someone to help them. They didn't have much. They depended completely and solely on the hospitality of other Christians to provide and help them as they were doing God's work from city to city. John knew that when Christians assist those who contend for the truth, they become what? He says at the very end, you become, in verse 8, fellow workers for the truth. Now, some people, we can't get our head around that. Okay, so this person went out there and, you know, shared the gospel and people got saved and people are just being healed and they're just, all this is going on. This is incredible. They're going to be richly rewarded by God when they get to heaven. But what you need to understand was what the Bible says. If you sent them out and you helped them and said, here, here is some money for you to be able to go do that work, you are going to be equally rewarded. You're going to receive reward for helping another to do. Every, it's a body. Everyone benefits when we're working together in unity here. The reward for this type of supporting of people we see in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 21 through 25, shows the same principle. When they went out to go for, out to war, only certain ones went out to war. And when you went out to war and you conquered, you were able to get all the spoils. But not all the spoils go to those who are the warriors who went out there. All the spoils were then also shared with those who were doing the supply lines. 
who are sending the food and sending all the things behind the scenes, on the rear end, back still at the main station. All of them benefit from that work that God did. It's the same thing here. Ties, gifts, and offerings that come in here. They go out and do all kinds of things going all out from the radio station. Imagine your tithes and gifts and offerings being multiplied in your benefit because the radio station is sharing the gospel, carrying Joseph of faith, and they're coming to save. And the rewards that will come from that. And you don't even know it. You don't even know it. Because you're just faithfully giving to the work of the kingdom, to reach, to spread the gospel and to, share, to encourage the faith and the missionaries and all that. You're getting, because you cannot be the missionary, you're not called to be a missionary, to go to another country or to another place, but you can help someone do that. You can't have your radio station, but the church was able to, God's blessing and purpose and will, to have a radio station to reach this community. But we're all going to receive rewards for that. For those who faithfully give or support that work. Jesus promised that even the help offered in a cup of water to the one of his children would not be forget, forgetten, forgiven, forgotten, forgotten when God brings his reward. We see that in Matthew 10, 42. God sees every little thing you do to help God's people. This also explains why John would pray for the prosperity of Gaius. Faithful hospitality witness. He says, oh, I, 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 all these resources, whatever it is, just do it God's way and the blessing will come. And if God's blessed him with more, others would be blessed also by doing that. And it just multiplies. But he warned them, whatever you do, don't be tempted to take from the world. Do not go turn into the non-believers to support you in the ministry. When you're sending someone out, and it still happens today, more than, more than, you, more than probably then that day, some young man says, I'm going to go start a new work and then sends out messages to non-believers and companies. Hey, I'm in the area. I'm going to help your people and help this and do this social cause. And if you would just give to uh, the, the, the non, the, you know, the, 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 the tax-exempt uh, status uh, organization here, and if you would give to this, this work, well, we're going to help you. John says, don't do that. If I'm sending you out and God's people, God's body, the body of believers, I will make sure there's the resources and everything needed to send you out. Don't turn to the world to be sent out to do God's work. But when you do send them out, do it in a manner of worthy of God. Don't just sit there and say, oh, I pray for you, brother and sister. May the Lord bless you and prosper you and, and good health and all these things. And then they're like, no financial support? We're, no one's willing to go over there and help them start the new work and, and encourage them and go visit them and go do the, and whoever's called to go do that? We should do it in a worthy of God. We should do it in an excellent manner. We should, it should bring honor and glory to God. 
Why? Because Christians must first see that we're doing something to help the spread of the gospel. The only reason why we're still living is to spread the gospel. The only reason why we're still here. The great commandment is Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How are you contributing to that work? One can have a part of going, but another can have a part of helping. But everyone has a part and should do it well. Even more practical. We have VBS coming up in July. I know if you mention the children's ministry, you're like, ooh, no, don't even mention that ministry. I know. Once you're strong and grow up, and you could handle the children's ministry. But it's only for the heart. You know, it's only for the strong, you know what I'm saying? But if you want to be part of this, help out in a much smaller, simpler way at VBS. Can you pass out water to the little kids while they're playing? And going between the teachings? Can you be like a big kid and, and watch over the bouncy house if we have one and, and watch and make sure they're safe? Can you do that? Can you be a, one of the security guards and just as they're going around and out, you're just warming around and watching and have an eagle eye and make sure no one's coming around the kids? I mean, there's so many things you could do to help and serve in that outreach into this community to lead kids to Christ. Yes, you're not the one sitting down actually teaching the lessons. You're not the one actually sharing the gospel with them. No, you're not even the one baptizing them. No, but you can do the security. You can make the food. You can do high fives and say, congratulations, I'm just so proud of you and encourage them. What small role can you play for two days or one day or half a day? See, that's what you have to personalize how God, you should be asking the question, how can I be a part of what God you're doing? That's the question you always ask. Let God then show you what that is. But do it in God's a manner worthy of God. Jesus said, he who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Matthew 10, verse 40 and 41. When you read those verses, you really have to meditate on that and say, consider how we should receive and help those who preach the gospel. Who are faithful in preaching the gospel and teaching. How are you supporting? To become fellow workers for the truth. And that's the beauty part as God leads. It's amazing how God leads. And have you be a part of something big. Now we see the other side here. The atrophies. A bad example of hospitality witness. A big problem within the church. Notice what John says here in verse 9. I wrote to the church. But Diotrephes, 
who loves to have the preeminence among them does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he, he does, pranting against us with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church, meaning excommunicating. Verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Here's the bad witness when it comes to hospitality and serving and helping others. We see six characteristics of this man. A diatrophies. A man we see here, first of all, it appears according to the scripture here as I read this and study and meditate, it appears John wrote a letter that has been lost. Obviously not needed for God. But a letter he must have sent off to the church. And it appears that letter never reached the church. It appears that Diotrephes didn't allow that letter to be circulated or to be known. Why? It tells us why. He had a love for himself. He had a preeminence. He means he wanted to be one, the first and only and the only one to go to. I can see John writing a letter. I'm coming to see you people. I haven't been there in a while. I'm taking my circuit around to all the churches to encourage you and to preach the gospel. I'm going to be coming soon. And Diotrephes has a love for himself and says, I don't want you, John. I don't, I'm going to reject you because I want them to all come to me and me alone. That's preeminent. The desire and love to be seen and to be followed. You can see it now, can't you? The podcast, Diotrophies. Website, come follow Diotrophies. Follow my Facebook. Follow my Instagram. Follow the Love Me Twitter. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. What happened to Jesus? Completely gone. That's what preeminence is. It's one of selfishness. That's the first characteristic of uh, diatrophies. That demands the love to be first and in control. The second thing we see here is not only does he love to be number one, but he does not receive us. He was rebellious. One who's rebellious of against authority. Why? Because the Apostle John had the position of authority. He could have excommunicated this guy, but he didn't. He didn't even call him an, uh, a heretic. He just said his heart was not right as a leader within the church. He just wants it all about him. And he's also rebellious because I have the, uh, the authority. I'm the Apostle John. I could come in and do these things. And he says, no, he actually does not receive us. 
Therefore, when he, John says, when I show up, oh, I'm going to bring back to memory all of his deeds and I'm going to have a conversation with this man. I'll deal with him. I, guys, I, I don't want you to deal with him. You just stay very focused on what you're doing in the ministry and don't get distracted by this man. Were they in the same church? Were they two different churches? Were they in the same area? I don't know. But he's encouraging Gaius, don't imitate the evilness that this man is doing. Because it's not of God. We also see that uh, he's not teachable. He's unteachable. Why? Because when you have this kind of pride, pride will blind you to the fact that you have pride. Because you're not willing to humble yourselves and to allow others what God wants to do. You want to control it. Because it's all about you. But we also see that it goes even further. This is not something that's happening into this uh, Diotrephes' mind on his own. It's actually displayed out and it's found out. Why? He's actually pranting against us with malicious words. That means he's slanderous. Not only is he selfish, rebellious, and unteachable, he's a slanderous. What does pranting mean? It means he's actually twisting words and falsely and babbling, uh, babbling along with all kinds of things about them, like John and others. Just babbling along with all kinds of words that are empty and untrue. Just to boost himself up, he has to tear other people down. That's bratty. And it's not only because, oh, I'm a better teacher than John is. That's kind of what he's like. Why does John have to come in here? He's just the Apostle John. He's an old man. He's, he's a has-been. He might have been good at one point, but now in his 90s, he's nothing. I'm the person who now has the latest and greatest. I'm one of the one who wears the skinny jeans and a and 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 you know, leather jacket and got the motorcycle up there teaching from a motorcycle kind of attitude. It's much more entertaining. What does John have to offer? He's... He's barely making his way in. See, not only was he pratting, but he was also doing it maliciously. He was doing it with bitterness. He was doing it with, with an ill will heart. He was doing it with a, a, a fictitious, a, to tear down John and others. To help boost himself up. That's what people do when their heart's not right even though they call themselves a Christian. And he's not saying he's not a Christian. He's just not walking rightly. So he's selfish and rebellious, unteachable, slanderous. He's also a dictator. Why? Because it says right here, he's not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren. He, does, he forbids those who wish to do something for the brethren. He doesn't even have any hospitality, which is one of the things that you, as a leader, you need to have hospi gift of hospitality. You gotta have hospitality. You're not gonna be a leader because you're not gonna open up your, anyway, we won't go down the time for a time's sake. But this man is a dictator, he's a controller inside and outside the church. 
He's what we refer to as lording over the people. That should never happen. It's one thing to say, no, no, we can't do that in the church. That's not decent and orderly fashion. It doesn't line up with the scriptures. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who's traveling through, needs support, needs to be encouraged, sent off to do God's work. And he's saying, not only will I not do that, he's now telling the congregation, you can't do that. Who does he think he is to tell you that you can't do something in your house to help someone Who's a brother or sister in the Lord doing God's work? Who, who are you to tell him what he could not to do with his, with his money? Or his house and the resources that God gave it. The actresses didn't give it the money and do all that. But that's how people can get. When authority, when power gets to their head and a bride, is they become controllers. I demand what I will do. And I will demand what I will have. That should never be. And lastly, he's harsh. He excommunicated people. He pressured them. He made them do things out of fear. You don't do and listen to me? You're out of here. What? It's godly that I'm looking for things I'm looking to do. I'm not looking to do ungodly things. I'm not in sin. I'm actually trying to do the work of God. I don't, what do you mean you're going to excommunicate? You're telling me to, you're being harsh to me and tell me I have to leave. But John publicly rebukes this man. But notice, he rebukes this man, but he rebuked him by name. And when you rebuke, rebuke someone by name, by name, the apostle of love. Remember, John is the apostle of love. This is a loving man. He was, he, he was going to err on the, on the side of love and the side of grace. But this man was getting to a point where he's hurting the flock and hurting the work of God. He didn't act outside of love. He actually loved him by actually rebuking and disciplining He was following, John was following clear commandment of the scriptures in Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. What do you do when people are become divisive and, and divisive and offensive and, and splitting and, and causing problems? You avoid them. So you will not be affected by them. However, when you're in a position of authority and you're rebuking someone publicly, make sure you make it, only do it when it's necessary. We must be very careful not to judge a brother against any standard that we ourselves would not be judged. We see that clearly in Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. By presenting himself as a prominent Christian leader as he was. At least in his own mind he thinks he was. Diotrephes knew that he was opening himself up to public criticism. Why? Because you will reap what you sow. So the problem with him was pride. He did not receive the apostle. 
Didn't receive other leaders, didn't receive other missionaries, didn't receive anybody, the brothers, sisters. No, no, no. I control everything. Can you imagine a person like that in charge of a church? Not good. But it appears he was in charge of some church in that city, looking at John and saying to himself, Hey, it's my ministry. No one touch my ministry. No one can touch my ministry. This is my ministry. And I'm always reminded, and I'm always reminding others who want to go into leadership. Colossians 1.18. Ladies, you know this well, if you're studying Colossians. Only Jesus is preeminence. Only Jesus. Jesus said to his 12 in Mark 9, 35, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. <laughs> I always love that verse. You know why? Because when you're in the ministry, you never have a split in the church. Everyone fighting over wanting to serve others and serving one another. That's never the reason why a church has a problem. Because people are clamoring to serve one another. Loving one another, giving to one another, sacrificially giving. No, 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 I'm gonna, I want to do more for you. No, no, I'll do more for you. There is no split in a marriage and problems in a marriage when one is trying to overbless and serve and, and give and, and just the needs and, and overbless it. Serving one another. Never have a problem with a marriage when this, it's like that. Only has a problems when they're both, so one or both are selfish and want to do their own thing, however they want to do it, and do it. Th- that's when there's problems in the church. That's what's the problems within a, in a marriage or any relationship. Be a servant of all, Jesus says. That is what your desire is first to be. Not preeminence, to be served, but for you to serve. Not to lord over, but to serve. That is what we must settle in our minds, my brothers and sisters. If not, then what will happen is it will turn into pratting. And I pray that today, if you find yourself and you're in that pratting stage, saying malicious words about others, I just repent. Turn around and go a different direction. Don't do that anymore. It will, it will hurt your family. It will hurt your Friends, it'll hurt work environment. It hurts a church environment. It hurts any environment where you're pratting and have malicious words. Proverbs 6 is a reminder for you all. 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. What's an abomination? What is, what is something that God hates? He doesn't like people causing division and discord among the brothers and sisters. When you read those verses and you understand that, it should check all of our hearts. 
and make sure we're right in our relationships with one another. And that's why he says to guys, do not imitate what is evil, because it's evil. Call it the way it is. Oh, they're just having a little tat. No, no, it's evil. <laughs> it's evil. See it how God sees it, and you'll start understanding how important that is. But do what is good. Follow Gaius. He's a great example. But then we come to verse 12 and we see another example. Demetrius, a great example, a faithful servant of God. He says right here, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And he, we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. And if you really just think that through, that one verse right there. Demetrius, great, another example. Godly man, serving of God, loving God, faithful servant. This is beautiful. But he says he has a good testimony from all. It doesn't matter who you are. Everyone says, that's a great guy. That's a, that, he's just, he's so great. He's just faithful, loving servant of God. It, it, everyone, it doesn't matter what your age is and what your background, if it's your first time meeting him or you've met him for years. Everyone has the same thing about this man. But not only has he had a good testimony from all, but he has it from the truth itself. He walks the talk. The truth comes out of him. It's just a witness of his life and the follower of God. And that's why John says, and we also bear witness. Why does he say that to Gaius? Because I believe John used Demetrius to take this little postcard, this little letter, Take it to Gaius for me. And he's telling Gaius in this letter, this man is a good example, a godly testimony of all, Gaius. You can receive him. Why? Most people, if you read things for others who did a study on this, they think it's just because he delivered the letter. I don't believe that. I believe that's true, that he delivered the letter. But I believe that John was sending this man to go actually help Gaius in the ministry. And he was telling Gaius, this is a good guy to have on your team to help you at the church where you're at. This man is a good testimony from all. He's from the truth. He follows the truth. He bears, and I'm giving you a witness that this man can help you in the ministry. Receive him. That's what I believe is what he's saying here in verse 12. Because he's true and good. Don't we want to have a lot of male and female Demetriuses coming into the ministry and helping in the ministry? Oh, absolutely. And then he re brings conclusion to this little letter. I had many things to write, just like he said in first, Second John. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly. And we shall speak face to face. Oh, John was more about face to face communication. Not for writing. He desires to see and look into the eyes of the one he loves. He's in the middle of the battle of spiritual warfare with this man. God has brought this young man. Gaius, I don't know how old he is, because Gaius is a very common name. So he's, we see it four other times, the name Gaius in the scripture, a couple of times in Acts, Romans, and I think 1 Corinthians. So we don't know which Gaius this is. I just know this Gaius that John speaks to is a faithful servant who loves to minister to other people. And then he says, peace 
Irena. It's not shalom, peace. It's Irena, which means, oh, rest for you. If you're in the ministry and you've got some challenges going on in the ministry and you've got this guy, uh, Diotrephes, is causing all kinds of problems, it causes you a lot of angst. It causes a lot of problem when there's something going on in the body of Christ and people are murmuring and complaining and all kinds of junk going on and they're malicious in their words and all these things. It can cause a person who leads a church great angst and not find rest. He's saying, oh, peace, rest to you, my brother. Our friends greet you. Those he knew where John was greet you. They love you. They greet you. They want to know they're all you know, for you. But notice at the very end here, greet the friends by name. Guys, I don't want you to just say, John says hi. I, <laughs> this is a relationship. I want you to tell each person by name that I said. I'm thinking of them, praying for them, love them, looking forward to seeing them when I get there. It's that personal. It tells you a lot about John, doesn't it? The apostle of love. It's like saying, Gaius, tell Tom hello for me. Can't wait to see him when I see him. I, I, I am blessed. I lovingly refer to as the snowbirds are coming back. And today we have a couple of them back today. And it's just nothing greater to watch and see them walk in and like, wow, it hasn't been that many months, it seems like. It's just, ah, I look forward to their fellowships once again here as they come from Florida back up here to the North Country for a season, right? 